Welcome to Unconventional Thinkers. My name is Kawan Saluja. On this episode, we speak with best-selling author, Dr. David Burns. Among the topics we discuss include his upcoming book, Feeling Great, how to overcome procrastination, and why acceptance is paradoxically the biggest change you can make. I really hope you enjoy our interview with Dr. David Burns. It's an honor to be on your show again. Oh, Good thank you. you uh, it's an honor to interview you uh, again. You were my uh, first and uh, actually a lot of people have come on my podcast because of you uh, and oh, because great. of the, that cool. interview. Um, and so it's a privilege to talk to you again. I I guess my first question is uh, kind of your path, but you know how you went to develop your views that have really changed a lot of people's lives. But, you know, I don't believe that you started on that direction as far as your education and training, but if you could elaborate. Are we live now or are we recording now? Yeah, we, we could start again. No, no, this is great. No, so, I, I think people just like, like real. Uh, um, I don't try to be, be polished. So about my education, well, uh, uh, you know, when I was little, I was, I thought I was going to be a minister like my father. Uh, he was a Lutheran minister, and uh, but then I, I kind of gave up on that idea when I was in college, and then I was going to go to philosophy graduate school, but uh, one of my uh, supervisors kind of redirected me to go to medical school to become a psychiatrist. Uh, I don't know, is, is this what you're looking for? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And uh, actually, my senior year in college, I, I read this book by Ludwig Wittgenstein called Philosophical Investigations. One of my roommates, uh, Phil Allen, who, who was just a super brilliant guy, he's one of these guys that had all perfect scores on the SAT exams, and he's now a solid state physicist in New York. And he said, for my honors thesis in philosophy, he said, you should read this book by by Wittgenstein, and do your dissertation on that. And uh, I said, well, hi, I haven't heard of this guy. And he said, well, uh, he, he just died in 1950, and this book was published after he died. It was some notes he found in a metal box under his bed at Oxford, under his dormitory, his bed in his dormitory room at Oxford. And it's rumored it contains the solution to all the problems of philosophy. But he said only seven, and it's rumored that only seven people in the world can understand it. So if you do your dissertation on it, probably the people on the faculty can't understand it. So when you have to de defend your honors thesis, they won't be able to ask you any challenging questions. So I read that book, and I couldn't understand it. it, it uh, I was interested in the free will problem and all these kind of sexy philosophical problems that seemed impossible to answer. And he kept writing little paragraphs that seem nonsensical, like, think about a piece of string. Uh, no strand goes from one end to the other, just a lot of strands woven together. Now are you ready to give up the free will problem? And I would think, I don't even know what you're talking about. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I was hoping you weren't asking me this question. And then, then you, he would say, imagine a... Uh, a, a bricklayer, a man who's making a stone wall, he has a younger apprentice. So every now and then he, he shouts out stone, and then the young apprentice brings him the kind of stone he needs to put in the wall. 
And he says, that, that's really all that's going on there. He's just using language to, to get a stone uh, to put on the wall. Now, now can you see the incredible screw-up that Aristotle and Plato made? And I would think, not really. <laughs> I have no idea what you're talking about. <laughs> and it was just stuff like that, these little idiotic <laughs> paragraphs numbered in no particular order. And I kept reading it, and, and then... <laughs> And the spring of my senior year, it's, I was walking across the Amherst campus and suddenly understood what he meant, what he was driving at, and I saw the solution to all the problems of philosophy. And as I told my supervisor, I don't think I'm going to go on to philosophy graduate school because I know all the answers that I was looking for, but uh, I'm going to go into psychology instead. And then my supervisor said, no, 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 you have to go to uh, medical school instead. I said, well, I never wanted to be a doctor. Why would I go to medical school? And he says, well, drugs are going to be so important, and psychiatrists can prescribe drugs, but psychologists can't. And I said, but I'm not a pre-medical student. I haven't even had a biology class. How could I possibly go to medical school? And he says, don't worry about that. He says, you can talk your way into anything. They probably won't even notice. And so I got an interview at Stanford Medical School, and I used some of my schmoozing techniques, and this guy admitted me to the Stanford Medical School. But it was a horrible, horrible mistake, because I, I mean, I, I skipped most of my classes. I couldn't stand, you know, anatomy and cutting up this dead body. I had no talent for it or anything. Um, and I dropped out of medical school for a year on two different occasions. But... Uh, I, I, I finally I finally said, well, I might as well do my internship and residency. Maybe I could at least, if I was a psychiatrist, I would still wouldn't know anything, but people wouldn't know that. And they'd think I knew something, so they, they would pay me to talk to me, because before that we were living down in Carmel Valley, California. My wife and I, we were living together and we were homeless. And I used to just uh, go around on beaches uh, in Carmel and various places and coffee houses just counseling people for free. Because I always wanted to, you know, do therapy. And, but no one took me seriously and we, and, and we didn't have any money or anything. We would just sleep on people's living room floors. And then I, I had the thought, boy, if I just bit the bullet and went and did an internship and residency, then, then we could survive. So that's how I got into and into psychiatry. Okay. Now your your work focuses on helping uh, has you know helped millions. I mean, just reading the reviews, whether it's your TED Talk or your Amazon review, has focused on depression and anxiety. And can you talk about some of the uh, your philosophy and yeah. what's advocated in your books, and also where the where the profession goes wrong? I think you said something like psychologists and psychiatrists only pretend to know what's going on. Yeah, yeah, that's right. There's a lot of deception and uh, a lot of lack of knowledge in, in our field. But I, I started out in biological psychiatry, prescribing drugs by the bushel barrel full of, you know, of throwing drugs at people right and left. And I was doing research on this chemical imbalance in the brain and uh, during my residency. And I won the world's top award for research uh, on, on, on brain chemistry. And I was supposed to have a career at the medical school at University of Pennsylvania School of Medicine uh, doing brain research. I had a five-year grant from the federal government, but I, I, I knew 
that all the pills that I was giving people uh, weren't helping them. I thought the antidepressant thing, even then, was a bit of a scam. We we had all the we had a research division that that I was in, and they gave the drug company sent us these drugs years before they were released. We were the first people to get Prozac. It was called Lily Eleven O Fourteen O. That was its its code name. But but we were given out these these pills and the traditional talk therapy I was trained in, and I rarely saw anyone go from severe depression to, to joy. And that's and that that's what I wanted, uh, and it was it was discouraging to me. But I had a fantastic career evolving. I was offered a department chairmanship when I was still a psychiatric resident at, at Indiana, and but I didn't want to be doing what I was doing because I knew it would never amount to anything. We showed the chemical imbalance theory couldn't be true. In 1975, we published a paper in the top psychiatric journal showing. It, 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 we did an experiment that disputed this idea that a deficiency of brain serotonin caused depression. And then I heard about Aaron Beck's work uh, at the same university I was at, and he had this new thing, cognitive therapy, which sounded goofy to me at first. That he, he said you can treat people without drugs, and depression is caused by negative thoughts. And, and we all have negative thoughts when we're depressed. We say, I'm no good, I shouldn't have screwed up. I don't want to give my talk, I'm going to make a fool of myself, and we're beating up on ourselves all the time with thoughts that make us depressed and ashamed and anxious and, and feel in, in, inadequate. And that these thoughts that hang us up so much that cause us depression, anxiety, shame, are distorted, that they're not true, that depression and anxiety are the world's oldest cons, and that you can train people to change the way they think and feel. And I thought that is so stupid. Uh, you can't train people to change their thoughts and get out of severe depression. That's just like Norman Vincent Peale had this book, Power of Positive Thinking, some sure. silly pop psychology stuff. And, but I decided to try it because I was so stuck with these patients. I said, well, I'll go to Dr. Beck's weekly seminar and try these techniques and just prove to myself that they don't work. And then... I started using his techniques. I go to a seminar and I say, oh, this patient who's on the verge of suicide, what should I do? And then he'd say, well, try this. And I'd go and all of a sudden the patient would, would start to improve dramatically. And the patient said, we, we want more of this. And I, I said, maybe there's something to this. Maybe, maybe this is valid. And I was just yearning to, to just see patients all day long and, 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 and show them how to get out of depression and get back to joy. I, for the first time, I had the tools to do that. And so I told my superiors at, 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 the, at the medical school, I said, I, I'm going to send that research money back to the government. I don't want to set up a brain serotonin lab. I don't want a career in research. And I'm, I'm just going to go into private practice, and I'll stay on the voluntary faculty, and I'll teach students and stuff for free. But I want to... I want to have a clinical practice, and, and so then I, I went into full-time practice, and and, uh, and then for years I was doing cognitive therapy and, and just just loving it, and uh, I wrote the book Feeling Good. And as you know, it, it, it started slow, and then it eventually became a number one bestseller. It took eight years, and 
and, and has made a huge impact. And because of that book, cognitive therapy has gone from it was considered quackery when I wrote that book. There were only 12 of us in the world doing cognitive therapy, and now it's the, the most popular form of psychotherapy in human history. But the odd thing is, I've moved beyond it myself. Everyone else is all intent on doing cognitive therapy, but now since I've been oh, at Stanford, we've developed something. I, I still use some powerful and amazing cognitive techniques, but we have a new dimension in, in therapy now that makes recovery e even faster. And and what we, what I what I've discovered just in the last say 20 years, and it's really been fine tuning in the last 10 years, is that Freud was right in a way that. It's not all distorted thoughts that, that makes us depressed, but resistance and motivation. That he, he noticed the patients, a lot of patients don't seem, seem to want to get better, and, but he couldn't solve the, the problem. He, he just had them lie on the couch for you know, five days a week pre-associating to get, get at the cause of resistance, and, and he never came up with a, a correct cause or, or an effective treatment. But then we, we, I began to do research and, and on people who weren't responding rapidly. Most of my patients were responding rapidly, but many got stuck. And the outcome studies showed, showed the same thing. With every school of therapy, suddenly the outcome study, studies started to show that at most 50% of patients improve in these outcome studies, no matter what form of therapy they're, they're treated with. And I asked myself, why is that? Well, why do some people get stuck in depression and anxiety or anger? And then I, I discovered it, it really is due, due, due to resistance. But what's really cool now is I've developed really powerful, fun techniques to bring resistance to conscious awareness quickly and, and eliminate it with, 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 with new patients. And so... It, 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 most of the time, when I when I treat somebody, I, I I can I I empathize with them for about thirty minutes, and then I bring their conscious resistance, subconscious resistance to, to conscious awareness, and melt it away with really cool new techniques. And then at that point, recovery is generally just a, a stone's throw away. And so most of the time now, I can complete a course of psychotherapy in one two-hour session. Wow. And, uh, and in addition, the, the, the changes I see are, 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 are dramatic. It's not just less depression, but it's getting rid of depression entirely and going into a state of joy and, and, and enlightenment. So that's, that's the, new, the new model. That's what my new book, Feeling Great, is, is going to be about. It, 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 uh, it will be released in September, but it'll people can probably pre-order it on Amazon within a, a week or two of the of this recording today, which is March 28th. And now I'm just my, finally my dream has come true, and I'm still treating people for free, like <laughs> when I was homeless. Uh, but uh, I, about 90% of the time when I treat somebody. Uh, they 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 experience a, a total elimination of symptoms in one session, and and that's it. Then you do relapse prevention training, and and and, and you're done. So it's an entirely new new model of therapy. But I think people can learn to do it on their own. That's why I wrote the new book. That, that's pretty much the whole thing from start to the current moment. Yeah. What are some? What that's very exciting, and I'm really looking forward to your book. Uh, what are some of the uh, new techniques? Um, that you know people could use. Um, there's so much effective 
and useful uh, things in feeling good. So yeah, I'm curious. Yeah, all that stuff is still good. I still use all those things, even you know newer, more power potent versions of all those tools. But they're they're still as good as gold. But the the, the new thing is is that uh, let, let me see if I can bring an example to uh, to memory here. Uh, the uh, uh, well, I treated a fellow. Let me let me just see if I can think of a good one. I'll tell you essentially what it is, and then I'll I'll, I'll an example will will pop in into my mind. Um, but when when people are upset, they you, they you beat up on yourself. Well, I'll give you an example. Uh, yeah, I just thought of a great example. It's one that's in my new book, uh, and I actually have a video of, of the session. But but I was treating a woman named Karen uh, in front of a live audience, and uh, but she had been incredibly disturbed for nine years, and nothing had been able to help help her. And what had happened to her was that nine years earlier, when her daughter was 12, her her daughter, I didn't say this in the last podcast, did I? No, no. no. Okay. Um, her, her daughter, Ashley, said, Mommy, can I go out and play after, you know, after dinner? And she, she'd always let her daughter go out and play after dinner, ever since she was, you know, five or six. But it was a little late, and she had mixed feelings, and said, okay, you, you can go out and play. And then what happened is some neighborhood boys uh, snuck up on her daughter, and they were playing with a high-powered pellet rifle. And they aimed it at her face and pulled the trigger. And this high-velocity pellet came out and hit her tooth and exploded in her mouth. And she ran inside screaming with blood coming out of her, her mouth. And um, and she was badly traumatized and had had multiple surgeries on her teeth and mouth, and then she had nine years of treatment for post traumatic stress disorder. Her daughter Ashley, that was not effective. And so this entire time, Karen was telling herself, "I'm a failure as a mother. I never should have let her go out and play." That day, yeah. And her suffering was just at the top. At the beginning of the session, her her depression was 90 out of 100, the same as you'd see someone hospitalized for depression. Her her anxiety was, you know, something like 100. Her her feelings of shame and guilt were like 95, and her anger was 80, and you know, everything. Her feelings of inadequacy and and effectiveness were, like, you know. 80 or 90, everything was, was, was sky high. Now, what most therapists would do would be to try to help her, and that's what virtually all therapists do all the time. And that's the biggest error a therapist can make. All therapeutic failure results from a therapist's attempt to help the patient. Because when you throw help at people, they naturally resist and start yes-butting you. And the reason they do that is because they actually have darn good reasons to, to be depressed. And so one of the things we do is bring the patient's resistance to, to conscious awareness with techni- techniques like the, uh, uh, the, the invitation question, the miracle cure question, the magic button, positive reframing, uh, the, the acid test, and, and, and the magic dial. Well, what, what are all those new techniques all about? Well, well essentially, the, the, uh, I, I said to, to Karen, 
Um, you know what? After I empathize, you have to empathize first. Get you know, be just be just hear what what she has to say. Don't try to help her. Don't 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 uh, you know try to change anything. Just show that you can hear. Let her cry. She was sobbing at the beginning of the, of the session. She was crushed with with her negative feelings. And and I said, now what would you like uh, to get out of this session? Uh, if if uh, Suppose something magical happens, and at the end you say, "Wow, that that session just blew me away." What would you hope for? Well, I've had her write down all her negative thoughts and feelings on this form called the Daily Mood Log, and uh, and, and she said, "Well, I don't think it's possible, but I'm just so tired of feeling guilty and ashamed and anxious and angry and depressed and inadequate and frustrated and discouraged and hopeless." If these negative thoughts and feelings could go away, that that would be my my dream. And I said, well, that's a magic. There's a, a magic button here, and if you press it, you'll be instantly cured and go into a state of euphoria with no effort. Would would you do it? And she said, oh yeah, I'll press the button. Where's where's the button? I said, well, there's no button, but but I do have incredibly powerful techniques to help you, but I'm not so sure I want to use them. And she said, well, why not? If you can help me, please, please help me. And I said, well, b before we use these techniques, maybe, maybe we better take a look at your negative thoughts and feelings and see what they say about you that's positive and awesome. In fact, let's, let's take, take your guilt and, and your thought, I, I'm a bad mother. I'm a failure as a mother. What does that, let's ask two questions. What does that show about you that's positive and awesome, show about you and your core values? And what are some benefits to you and your daughter for telling yourself, I'm a bad mother? How, how is that going to help you? Can you think of anything uh, that that says about her that's really positive and awesome? Well, I sometimes feeling guilt equates to a, a feeling of caring, immense caring. Oh, perfect. I love what you're saying. Her, her guilt is an expression of her love for her, her, her daughter. That, that, that's certainly huge, as is her sadness and depression, right? Right. Because if her depression goes away and she's happy, then she says, yeah, my daughter's life has been ruined, but I'm as happy as can be. <laughs> you, you see what I mean? Yeah, that's why. What, what, what else do these negative thoughts and feelings show about her that's, that's positive and awesome? Um, she's unselfish. Oh, yeah. Is that important? Um, it's a pretty good quality to have, yeah. Absolutely. And uh, does it show that she has high standards? Uh, extremely high, the kind that um, can lead to depression sometimes. No, we're not looking at that now. Oh, we're looking we're at the positive oh. side of high uh, standards. What yeah, are that's, some things about high standards? Yes, that can be very positive. Yeah, it can motivate you. Uh, it, it, it causes her to bring the very best care possible, surgical and psychiatric care for her for her daughter. Um, it uh, it shows that she's realistic and honest. Uh, when, when you feel guilty and feel like a failure, because we all do fail, we we all do have short, shortcomings. It shows that she's uh, humble, and humility is a spiritual quality. She's a very uh, spiritual woman. Self-aware. Um, and uh, what are some good things about her anger? She's 85% angry. Her anger is right up there with the serial killer. 
Um, I mean, awesome, awesome about her anger. I mean, anger can bring extraordinary focus. I mean, there's there's energy uh, behind it. Um, that, that, well, that that's that's your emotion can make you a fighter, and she's a fighter, and she's right. done everything possible for for her daughter. But there's another, much more obvious uh, uh, positive of, of her anger. She's do do you think those parents should have let their boys go out and play with a loaded rifle? No. So Absolutely. does she have a right to be enraged with those parents? Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. So that's you know, and that's a good thing. That's a good thing too. And then uh, one of the trickier ones is she's feeling hopeless and discouraged. What are some wonderful things about feeling hopeless and discouraged? Um, may not make. Uh, may be more uh, deliberate, I guess, possibly. More, more thoughtful. Let, let me let me ask you this this, this couple of questions here. I'll help you with with this because it, it took a while to for me to figure this all out at, at first. But um, she's tried a lot of things to help her daughter and herself, right? She's prayed every night to God, and no, nothing has has helped either one of them. And so, is it likely that she'll get up on the stage with Dr. Burns and be cured in one two-hour session? Does that make sense after nine years of constant failure? No, uh, it doesn't. It doesn't. So if she's hopeless, she protects herself from more disappointment. Right. And, and then another thing about the hopelessness, it shows that, that, that she's realistic and, and appraising the situation that, that she's in, and that she also she's a critical thinker. She's not going to be gullible, and because and Dr. Burns says he's got something new, she's not going to be gullible and, oh, he's the new messiah or something like that. And then, you know, right, right. Her, looking, she, looking for she her. She's a smart woman. Yes. Intelligent woman. So together, we listed all of these positives, and I think we came up with about 25 positives. Now, she's been thinking that these symptoms, shame, depression, anxiety, that they're bad. That, that's what society tells us. These are signs of a chemical imbalance in your brain, which, by the way, is not true. That the, the, These are show you have a mental disorder. That's what the American Psychiatric Association says. So you can write the Diagnostic and Statistical Manual of Mental Disorders. Uh, so they have hundreds of so-called mental disorders. And what I'm saying... Is, is that your depression and anxiety do not result from what's wrong with you, but from what's right with you. And, and we just made a list of fantastic things about Karen that, that, that are embedded in all of her so-called negative thoughts and, and, and feelings. And so once we listed them, I said, then, Karen, why would you want to press this magic button? Because then, sure, your depression will vanish, your anxiety will vanish, your guilt and shame will vanish, but then all these beautiful things about you are going to go down the toilet right along with your negative feelings. Why would you want to do that? That makes no sense. And now I put her in a paradox. On the one hand, she's tired of suffering. On the other hand, she suddenly sees why she's been suffering. Right. Because it's, it's her love, love for her daughter. Does she really want to press the magic button and be euphoric while her daughter is still suffering incredibly. And so then the way we resolve it, she's saying, please, I'll do anything if, if, if you'll help me. I, I see what you're saying, but, but I, I don't want to feel like this. And then I say, let's imagine we had a magic dial instead of a magic button. And you could dial each emotion down to a lower level, 
where you could feel a whole lot better, but you could maintain all these 25 beautiful things about yourself. And then we went through each emotion, like how sad would you want to be? You're 90% sad or 95, whatever it was. How sad would you want to be at the end of the session? She says, oh, you know, 20 would be enough. Yeah. And I said, are, are you sure that's enough? Are you, you wouldn't need 30? And see, now I'm, I'm in the paradoxical position of trying to talk her into being more upset. We've had a role reversal now. And so she wanted to be like something like 20% or 10% depressed and, you know, 5% anxious. I said, are you sure that's enough? Anxiety. And, and she set real low levels as her goals. And I said, well, now let's lower them to those levels, but no further. And now I've made a deal with her subconscious mind that she's in charge. And she's also seeing the beauty, the beauty of, of her symptoms. And then I told her, we have to be careful because the tools I'm going to show you are so powerful, we may overshoot. And your depression might go all the way to zero. But don't worry, uh, if, if it gets too low and you get too happy, I'll, I'll help you get a little bit more depressed before you come <laughs> to the session. We don't want you to get too depression-free. And then she started laughing. Well, at this point, she's already 80% recovered. Sure. And then we just went in with the, the traditional stuff in my book, Feeling Good, uh, what are the distortions in this thought? I never should have let her go out and play. And then she was able to say, well, that's like fortune-telling. I was, I'm telling myself I should have been able to foresee the future. How could I know that if she went out just at this moment, she, she, she's going to get, get shot in the face? And then she said, oh, what are the distortions in I'm a bad mom? It's all or nothing thinking. It's... Uh, uh, discounting the positive, it's a self-blame, it's a hidden should statement, like I should, a good mom should be able to keep her daughter safe at all times and ward off all, all, all dangers, it's self-blame because she in no way is to blame for, 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 what, for what happened. And now she can suddenly see these distortions and see how she's been fooling herself and then we used a technique I think you might remember or be familiar with called externalization of voices, where I played the negative part of her brain, and she played the positive part of her brain, and I hit her with her own thoughts, and she just knocked them out of the park. But the last thought that she had, and she was like, a, became like a lion, you know, just like from a sobbing mess at the beginning, a powerful woman. Who, who's going to defend herself against this in, internal tyranny. And then at the end, she'd have the thought that all the people in the audience are probably judging me and thinking I'm a bad mom. Because that's the thing about depression. When you think you're no good, you just assume that other people think you're no good. And, uh, and, and I said, well, um, how would you talk back to that thought? You know, that they're probably all the 100, 125 people here, they're probably all judging me. And, and she said, well, if they're judging me, that's their problem. And then everyone in the audience started cheering. And that sounds like a good response, but there's a problem with it because that assumes that they are judging her and she's giving mm -hmm. a defiant response. So I said, well, that's, that's, that's great what you just did, but, but how do we know that they're judging you? Could, is there, could we find out? Could we do an experiment now and find out? And then she got panicky and said, oh, would I have to ask them? <laughs> and, and I said, well, you're terrified. That probably means it's a good idea. So she I'm feeling said, fear for her right now. 
Huh? I said, I'm feeling yeah. fear for her right now. Like, oh, oh, yeah, yeah. And uh, a friend of mine just, the reason we have it on video is a friend just brought his camcorder or his iPhone or something, and I gave him permission to, to, to film it. It's not done very professionally, but it's it's a nice, clear audio and a nice, clear video. And, and I, I, I said, well, why don't we, we ask if some of the people would come up so we could get them on the camera, and then you can interview them and ask them if they're judging you, and ask them what they think of you, and all of a sudden, a line of 10 people showed up, and uh, he, he, then she asked, I forced her to ask each one, are you judging me? What do you think of me? Because usually we don't have the courage to ask those kind of questions. And every one of them started sobbing and saying, you're my hero. I have incredible admiration for you. And she couldn't believe it. She started sobbing. She was it just blew her mind to, to see the truth. Uh, and, and then we re-rated her negative feelings at the end of the session, and all of her feelings went from severe enough to be on an inpatient psychiatric hospital to zero. She didn't improve. They were an, completely annihilated. Every negative emotion went to zero except for two. And one of them was uh, guilt. And she said it didn't go from 100 to zero, it went from 100 to minus 1,000. So she's saying it's, you know, like way beyond no guilt. And then frustration, uh, instead of going from 90 to zero, she said it went to minus 1 million. And, and she was absolutely in a state of uh, euphoria, ecstasy, spiritual enlightenment. Uh, it's it's way more than feeling less depressed. It's like having a peak experience, and that's what we try to do with this this new type type of therapy. And uh, it's it's really a it's it's really exciting. It's it's not the the cure for everyone. It's not the solution for everything, but it's it's vastly more powerful than anything I've I've ever heard of or uh, or. or or, or, or ever saying it's, it's the, the, the most powerful tool I've ever had. Then people have questions like, oh, well, that's just a flash in the pan and it won't last. And that was like three and a half years ago. And so I, I sent her uh, an email 10 days ago just, just to find out. Yeah, and then I just got an email back from her. That's why I, I remembered the, the session. And, and she said that... Uh, the session blew her mind, was totally amazing, and she's really been just ha hasn't had a negative thought since that time that she's been on, on a high. But she also listened, watched the video. I had sent her a copy of the video with her daughter because, see, her daughter didn't know that her mom was feeling this way. All those years. Um, and uh, it, she said it, it brought us uh, uh, so close together, and then her daughter kind of magically suddenly recovered too. Wow. And now her daughter's finished college, and she's married, and uh, and she just sent the most beautiful, you know, letter answering all of these these questions I've had. But that that's kind of how it works. And this is what I was looking for when I was homeless, and and treating people for free. This is what I was yearning for, was to have some magic for people who are who are hurting. And it took me really 40 years to figure out how to do this. But but it's now that I have it, it's it's just like uh, uh, it's like having 
magic at my fingertips, and, and, and I see that people all around me are suffering and hurting, even mental health professionals who you think are, are experts. Uh, they, I, I do free training for, for Bay Area mental health professionals at Stanford, and, and, and they have severe uh, family problems and depression problems and, and anxiety problems, and, and now I have tools that I can, I can help them so rapidly, and it just always puts, puts me on a high uh, when, when I see somebody recover. It's, it's what I live for. It's the greatest experience of my life. Yeah, I'm just uh, really grateful you you didn't go into philosophy and uh, got into this. Um, a couple that, of things. Wait, that's that's the thing I did go into philosophy because the kind Practical. of that's the other odd thing is like <laughs> spirituality or philosophy, and it's like instead of being a minister, I mean that's kind of what I'm doing now. It, it is spiritual stuff because when you recover, you 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 understand things at at a spiritual level. Um, I, you know, a bunch of things came up in that because I, first off the tragedy that, you know, she, like many other people maybe endured years of pain that maybe was, uh, could have been reduced a little bit, but also there's those stereotypes of, oh, I'm really productive when I'm angry or the artist, you know, if the artist believes that they need pain and addiction, even, you know, uh, sometimes these things are peddled by what you, you know, what movies but you used to get plastered, right? What's that? Yeah. But it's used to get plastered. Oh, I'm an artist. I'm going to be so creative when I'm drunk or yeah. when I'm stoned. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Well, if, if something's working for a person, uh, that that's fine. I only uh, work with people who, who want help, you, you know, and, and so if somebody's angry and their anger is working for them or or whatever, I say, say God, God bless you. I'm not trying to tell people how, how to live their lives, but if you're ever hurting and getting stuck, and uh, uh, that that that's the time that that uh, we can get together and work a little miracle. And is this method called uh, praise your fears? Is that right or called what? Praise your fear, or is that a different technique? Praise your fear. Well, I I I, do, I have you know I have these free uh, feeling good podcasts. Yeah, I listen. There's and great podcasts. People said they wanted a bunch on the Corona thing, so the first one was honoring your angst. And uh, that was published Monday. Yeah, I listened I, to it. Yeah. Oh, you did? Oh, yeah. Yeah. Oh, great. Yeah. And, uh, and, and, and if your listeners want more of this, you know, they can just go to my website, feelinggood.com, and, and then the Feeling Good podcasts are on a tab. And they're all organized. I don't know if you've done this, but I, I got a search function for my website. It didn't cost anything. And, and then if you can type anything into the search thing, it's in the right panel of every web page, and you can put like suicide or social anxiety or whatever, and then all the podcasts and blogs on that topic pop right up. It's like, it's like magic. Well, we're, you know, certainly unprecedented times. And what, uh, you know, it's like you mentioned, it's late March uh, at the time of the recording. Um, how can, you know, there's a lot of fear and a lot, you know, I think you talked about some of it is justified and to honor it, but what would you, uh, how can people deal with their fears? I would, you know, I hesitate to say mitigate because that's not honoring. Um, but yeah. how would you, uh, well, it's, it's, it's just, the, it's the same, the same technique that I just, just described. You, you have to take a specific moment that you're upset and then, uh, 
you know, my form, the daily mood log, you know, that circle all your negative emotions and put how intense they are between zero and a hundred. And then, uh, then write down your, your, your negative thoughts. And, uh, uh, and then, uh, you'll see that m many of them are distorted. Like they have all or nothing thinking and, and overgeneralization and should statements and self blame and, fortune telling and, and and then you 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 talk and then then you you make a list of what your negative thoughts and feelings show about you that's positive and awesome and then you can kind of use the, use the magic dial and, and say do do I need to be 80% anxious you know I need some anxiety in this corona thing do I need 80% you know panic would maybe 5% would be enough for 15 15% and then once you've decided with the magic dial idea of what, how anxious and how angry do you want to be, how depressed do you, do, you, do you want to be, and you've really seen how your negative feelings are an expression of what's beautiful about you. So you've got to be able to see that uh, first. That Then you can easily talk back to these thoughts. But if people want to learn more about it, they could get my book, Feeling Good, which, you know, is very helpful to, to people even, you know, 40 years later still... It's the t number one bestseller on Amazon in the depression category. In fact, it has three of the top five spots on Amazon in, in, in books on, on, on depression. It's got the uh, mass market uh, is number one, and then the audio, I think, is number two, and the uh, e-book is number four or something. Yeah, there's so much good stuff in there. A couple uh, things that... I had on that was you you mentioned action precedes motivation and it's one of the things that I mean there's a lot of things but that thing really kind of was kind of the opposite could you explain that and, and why that's... Well, that's just a simple thing but it is so helpful I use it myself all, all the time like if, if I could move this video camera around you, you'd see my there's stuff stacked up it's kind of semi disorganized in, in here but um, one, once a week, I, I will, uh, well, I'll do it right now. You, you say I'm going to start organizing my office. <laughs> okay. But all I'm obligated to do is, do you see this kind of coffee stained piece of paper? Yes, I do. Uh, I'm going to go and put it in the trash. Okay. I'll be right back. Okay. Then say I'm going to do a little something. This is all I have to do. This one <laughs> thing. Hold, hold on. I'm glad it can be of help to you. Yeah, I'll be right back. Okay. Okay, now what happened just now is I put it in the trash, and it was real easy, way easier than I thought. Right. And now I'm in the mood to do another little thing. Okay. Uh, and, and so what I do uh, is, is I... I, I I never wait for motivation because I will never be in the mood to clean up this office. <laughs> I'm not entitled to motivation until I've gotten started. Now, once I've filed two or three things, then I start thinking, hey, this is kind of fun. This is easy. And then I get motivated. But I never wait for motivation because you're not entitled to motivation. Oh, wow. uh, why are you going to feel motivated to do something that sucks? <laughs> So, you know, that, that I'm trying to I'm trying to see how to apply that to uh, sleep, for example, going to sleep and getting out of out of bed, uh, given that you're never, you know, some people, not all m might never be motivated to do that. What's like a small step 
for for you, you showed me the papers. Um, but what about uh, sleep, for example, getting to sleep or waking up? Well, I'm not quite sure what it is you're asking for. I don't understand the well, question. Well, I mean, like, what would be the, you know, you said you're never going to be motivated to do, um, you're never going to be mean, wanting to go to bed earlier tonight or something. Well, I'm not, I'm not going to ever be motivated to do that. I, I consider myself a night owl, but sometimes you, you do have to go to sleep. So what would be the, like, that? so tonight, would you like to go to sleep earlier? Yeah, I would. At what time? <laughs> Let's, uh, uh, let, let's say midnight. <laughs> okay. Um, and is that something you need my help with? Uh, no. Okay. Well, um, <laughs> uh, are you willing uh, to go to, to, to bed at midnight tonight, no matter what? Yes. Uh, well then will you then send me an email, uh, tomorrow morning? Uh, that either says a mission accomplished or I stubbornly refused. Okay. Uh, and, and you promise if you don't do it to announce on your podcast that you <laughs> stubbornly refused. And if you do do it, you can announce on your podcast mission accomplished. Okay. Now, what are some things that are going to prevent you from doing that at midnight? Get a piece of paper now. Okay. And put a line down the middle and label the left-hand column problems and the right-hand column solutions. Okay. Now, what are some things that are going to get in the way and prevent you from uh, going to bed at, at midnight? Well, I just think uh, habit. Habit is, is to not go to sleep at that time, that early. Okay, so the left-hand uh, column... Uh, Familiarity. Put, like It's not, not a habit. It's a habit yeah. to, to stay up late. Put that down. Okay. Okay. Now, how are you going to solve that problem? <laughs> Go to bed at midnight. Uh -huh. That's the is only that way. Is that something that's possible for you to do? I mean, it's possible. <laughs> it well, may not be. It may not be probable, but yes, yeah, it is possible. Absolutely. Uh -huh. But what are some more things that are going to get in the way? What are you going to tell yourself? Oh, I, I have some more stuff to do right now, so uh, I'll Put do this. I'll Put do that this. Down. Left hand column. Yeah, I, I need to edit this podcast interview. Um, yeah. I'll tell myself I need to edit the podcast interview. Yeah, before I go to sleep. Yeah. Um, okay, now how are you going to solve that problem? Go to bed at midnight and have an accountability partner, I guess, would be uh -huh. one way. I mean, yeah, but you really need to edit that podcast, so you don't need to go to sleep now. Right. <laughs> so why don't you stay up now and edit the podcast? It'll be great. Yeah, absolutely. So, I will. <laughs> okay, so it sounds like you don't want to go to bed at midnight. Anything else I can help you with? <laughs> Got it. Okay. What did you get? Uh, that I want to hold on to that habit. Yeah, like, do you? I think so, yeah. So yeah. you really don't want to go to bed at midnight? <laughs> no, I don't think so. Okay, well, God bless you. It's I a, don't care when you go to bed. Yeah, it's, a, it's, a, it's a should. It's a should. And it's one of those, one of the 10 cognitive distortions. Um, yeah. <laughs> it's been a while since we talked, so I forgot how good you are in person. Because I, was, I, I wasn't sure what, what, very you, kind. what, you were, uh, what you were going at. And you asked me um, to write this down on pen take a pen and paper why is that is there a you know you also have the triple column technique 
Yeah, there's a lot of written exercises, writing down negative thoughts. There's written exercises on how to change the way you communicate with other people. Why writing? Yeah, and virtually everyone who does the written exercises gets tremendous gain. And and, uh, pretty much every person who refuses to do the written exercises doesn't really uh, change much in any lasting way. And and the reason for that is when you do the written exercises, you're actually reprogramming your brain. It's like practicing a tennis shot. If you want to, you can go to the coach and learn a new tennis shot, but if you don't practice it, you don't, won't do you any good. So coach could be the nicest guy in the world, but talking to the coach isn't going to change your tennis game. So reading a book without doing the exercises is just basically accumulating knowledge but not applying any, anything. That's yeah. what writing does. I was very curious because I do notice the difference when I write versus think in my head or even say it out loud. It's yeah. just yeah. not the same. And I'm curious yeah. why writing is so important. When you write down what you're telling yourself, you can see how uh, idiotic it was. I, I don't know if I told you, but one of the things that sold me on you know cognitive therapy was when, once when Dr. Beck criticized me about the way it handled the patient. And it was so the guy hadn't been paying his bill, and apparently whatever I told him wasn't the correct thing, and, and Beck pointed that out. And then I, I went into a panic, and I, and I started thinking I was a horrible human being, and I could have no career in therapy, and, uh, and it seemed so real. Uh, and then, you know, I went home, I said, well... David, you should write these thoughts down like you tell your patients to. And then I said, oh, no, no, my thoughts are real. They're, you know, this is the truth. I've discovered the truth about myself. And then I went out for a six-mile jog thinking I needed to boost my brain endorphins. That's another myth, by the way, that exercise boosts brain endorphins. The only way exercise can help you is if you change the way you think. And at the end of my six-mile jog, I was even more convinced that I was a worthless human being and that they were going to take my medical license away. And it seems true. Then I went in and I forced myself to write the thoughts on a piece of paper. I didn't want to do it. I was sure the thoughts were valid. And then when I got them on a piece of paper, and then I looked at my list of distortions, I said, this is ridiculous. I'm, I'm a beginner. I'm entitled to make mistakes. I'll probably make mistakes when I'm 77 years old doing a podcast. And uh, I'll always make mistakes and learn. I have the right to make mistakes. Why don't I just talk it over when I see the patient tomorrow? And, uh, and, when I, and I wrote that down on the piece of paper, the positive thought. And suddenly I said, these negative thoughts are nonsensical. And my mood went from panic and despair and thinking I was worthless to, to joy. It was like magic. And then the next day when I said the, saw the patient, I said, you know, last week I screwed up so bad. When you, uh, when the way I talked to you about paying the bill and I can imagine how hurt and angry, angry you feel and put down and tell you the truth, I, I, I've been feeling ashamed too because I, I made a bad error and I really like you and I kind of hurt your feelings. He couldn't believe what he was hearing. We had the greatest session ever. Wow. I mean, a couple of things there. It almost felt like you externalized, like going through that is you externalized, you did the externalization process just by putting your thoughts down and like looking at them without yeah. having someone else yeah. there. Yeah. 
Yeah, but if I hadn't written them down, I, I would have just been stuck in that for in a long time. Yeah, and it could be for years. And and you didn't need the six mile run to get there either. That's yeah, yeah. The run didn't do me any good. It never has. I still do it for health reasons, but I, I've never never had the runner's high, never once. Um, you also uh, you'd mentioned the new book. You also have an app coming out. Could you uh, talk about that? Yeah, I'm working on that with two uh, terrific colleagues, J Jeremy uh, Carmel, who's a uh, programmer and kind of all-around smart, energetic guy in San Francisco. He's been wanting to work with me on an app for, for 10 years, and, he, and we finally decided to do it. And, and Dr. Alex Clark, who was a student of mine at Stanford, a psychiatric resident, and now he's practicing at the Feeling Good Institute in Mountain View, and he's another really warm, positive, just a terrific person with an incredibly brilliant. And we're, we're trying to, just as I've been trying to deliver these things to the general public through my books, I've always felt that an interactive app would, would be even more, potentially more powerful. So we're feeling a doing a feeling great app. And if anyone wants to beta test it, including yourself, if you go to my website, feelinggood.com forward slash app, A-P-P, that's easy, feelinggood.com forward slash app, then you can sign up to be a beta tester. We hope to have a, a beta of a portion of it uh, maybe in, in, in a few weeks. And we'd love to get, to get feedback from people like, for example, the, the case I presented to you today, the Karen, who thought she was a failure or some other. See, I have video clips and audio clips of, the, of all of that. And, and it's just awe-inspiring to hear it and, 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 and to watch it. So we, instead of just explaining things to people, I can prove it and I can show them and then give them exercises to, to learn all of these uh, positive reframing tools and learn about the distortions and and, and learn how, how, to help, how to help yourself so uh, maybe, maybe you don't have to you know, keep going to, to therapists for the rest of your life. That, that's my message to people. And if people have therapists, that, that's fine, but maybe it will accelerate uh, re recovery for people. Um, one of your chapters in Feeling Good starts with Physician, Heal Thyself. I'm curious, today you showed me one of them with the uh, paper. Which, what techniques of your own do you uh, use quite well, a bit. well, the one that's most helpful to me is the acceptance paradox. It's one I, I, I use more than a hundred techniques, and there's more than fifty of them explained in, in the in the new book. I was going to put all hundred, but the book just got too long, so we 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 didn't try to do everything in one book. But um, the acceptance paradox, because for example, you know, see, I I screw up all the time. I also have incredible successes and joys. But I was on a hike. See, I do free hikes for my students on Sundays. We can't do it now due to Corona. But typically they show up at my front door at nine and then we go out and hike for maybe three and a half hours and I, I heal people along the way. And, and, and then sometimes we go out for a dim sum afterwards. I, when you hiked with us, I don't know if we went out for dim sum. Oh, after. we did. did yeah, well, we're still, still doing that. Same place, actually. Uh, and uh, It's a lot of fun. Yeah, and, it, and it's fun. Well, um, I violated my own rule. See, my own rule is first empathize and then melt away resistance. But this woman was all upset with her boss, and I thought she, I knew exactly what she needed. 
So instead of uh, empathizing and then finding out what she wanted help with and melting away her resistance, they jumped in, you know, with my wonderful tools to help. And I thought I was just doing a brilliant job. I was congratulating myself on my cleverness and wonderfulness. And after the hike, I got an email from her that she was livid with me, enraged. She says, take me off the, the, the hiking list. And I'm devastated. Uh, and it was incredibly disturbing to me. I had a couple sleepless nights before I could finally get a hold of her in an email and, and tell her how, how bad I felt that I had failed her. Uh, and that I'm, I'm sure that she must be so angry with me and for, for, for good reason that I'm, I'm hurting and, and I wouldn't be hurting so much if I didn't have such tremendous respect for her. And then she just melted and sent me the most beautiful email in, 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 ret in return. And, and what I try to, to do with myself is, is, is to accept the fact that I'm very flawed and, um, and just, just kind of accept it and say, I'll, I'll, I'll probably always screw up a lot from time to time. But I also do a lot of things that are just great. And, and, and so uh, give, yourself a, give yourself a break, David, and, 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 I, and I do. And I'm just, I'm just pretty, pretty kind to myself. And I've learned from our cats. We have feral cats. We have another feral cat. I don't think... I don't know if you've met this one, Miss Misty, little black one, but she's very timid and uh, you know, I have to be so gentle with her and, and she's just warming up. She just loved my wife from the very beginning, but uh, she was, she was, she's a little afraid of me and now she's just warming up and she leans on her back and spreads her legs so I can rub her tummy and, and it's just to, to be gentle. Uh, and, and to be loving and learn to be gentle with myself. That, that's, that's what's been helpful for me. This the raw decision to treat myself uh, kindly uh, rather than to, to rip into myself like, uh, you know, I'm not perfect enough and all this drama about ripping myself to shreds. I, I, I try not to do that anymore and, uh, and ju just accept my mediocrity. And, and what, I've, what I've learned is that Accepting your mediocrity is the same as enlightenment. Wow. Yeah, I that I actually um, in my research, I actually stopped that and actually wrote out what you said. And if you could go into this acceptance is the greatest change you can make paradox yeah. is what you yeah. said, um, which yeah. I thought was, you know, kind of as mind-blowing as action precedes motivation, at least the first time I read that. Yeah, yeah those are both mind-blowers. Yeah. And in fact, with, with the guys I'm working on the app with, we've made a list of about 20 of those mind blowers. We're trying to list them now in categories like the golden nuggets. We call it the, the, the gold mine type of thing. We get in there, we find nuggets. But, but that would be a nugget like uh, action precedes motivation and acceptance is the greatest change a human being can make. I just love those, those things like, like that. Uh, if, if you remind me, I'll send you a list of our nuggets. Oh, you, I, you email me. I, so I, maybe you'll think of some more that we can add to it. Yeah, no, I would love, uh, I would love that. Um, what would you say to your eighteen-year-old uh, self? To my eighteen-year-old self, I would probably say you're probably horny as hell, and uh, you know, I hope you get laid pretty soon. <laughs> <laughs> 
<laughs> uh, Enjoy it while you're young. <laughs> I, I probably would have just said you're, you know, you're working hard. You're going to have a lot of great adventures. You're going to have a wild so time. Uh, you're going to have the serious times, and and uh, uh, you know, just uh, just you're you're going to have a have a have a wonderful life, and you're you're very you're very fortunate. Um, you have a book coming on the way, an app. What is the best place to find you um, as on the uh, web? Well, just go to feelinggood.com, my website, and then there's tons of free resources there for people. Not only the, the we've got like 180 of our podcasts now. I don't know what number you, you, you're at, but we, we've got a lot of them and they can be searched. And, and you can, there's podcasts for therapists to learn therapy. There's podcasts for the general public to learn how the five secrets of effective communication and all these uh, techniques to, to melt away uh, therapeutic resistance. And we've got podcasts on all of the 50 different techniques. Uh, and, and I've got classes now. Like you can go to my website if you're depressed and there's a depression test you can click on and then you can take it and it'll send, send you an email interpreting your score and then it will send you give, give you a free class i created on depression there's 18 consecutive uh, lessons and you get one every second day and i've also created a free class on anxiety that we're ready to launch pretty soon it'll be the same thing you'll take an anxiety test on my website uh, on the home page and, and then you'll get an interpretation then if you like you can receive this free anxiety class I've created a free relationship class on the five secrets of effective communication. I've created a free uh, trauma uh, class, get, getting over trauma. I'm, I'm just trying to give as much stuff uh, for free to as many people as I can. And then I hope a few will buy my book so I can you know, keep doing free stuff. So you know, feeling good is still selling, and I hope that the feeling great is something that will help, help people as, as well, because it's got all the new stuff. It's not just... What, what they're hearing about from other mental health professionals. The stuff in the new book, Feeling Great, is kind of like what we've been talking about today. It's, it's, it's kind of radical and, and, and new and different. Yeah, I, I really look forward to it, and I really appreciate all you do um, for so many people. I think Feeling Good is how many million uh, copies have? It's over 5 million now, yeah. and it's gone into 30 different languages, and uh, uh, it's, it's just it's still... Go, going gangbusters. If you want a copy of the new book, email me and, and I'll tell the publishers when they have the galleys to, to send you one. Maybe they'll try to get an endorsement from you if you like it. Or if not, at least you'll have a an early copy of the new book and you can tell me what you think. I would very much appreciate that. And I would uh, really appreciate your time today. And there's so much uh, that we covered and yet so much more, uh, you know, just I know. On... we could go on and on, but it's, yeah. it's been, it's, it's just been great. Of course, I'm narcissistic and you let me talk, so I'm bound to love it. But, <laughs> but I, I just thought we had tremendous energy and, uh, you know, maybe, uh, uh, once you publish yours, you can, you can send me the audio and then I'll publish it online and I can refer some more people over to your podcast and vice versa. Yeah. That would be uh, that because be I thought it was I thought it was great because I thought we had energy. A great big thank you to David Burns. Uh, so many takeaways. Uh, I love action precedes motivation. I really like when he says, "Why would you be? Why would you ever be motivated to do something that sucks?" 
and you know just taking the minimum baby step it's not just do it it's just just take the first step create some kind of momentum and it reminds me of Richard Feynman who says everything is interesting if you look deeply enough into it uh, the other thing I really appreciated was you know for a man with his experience to say acceptance is paradoxically the greatest change that one can make and that acceptance is enlightenment if you like this interview please leave a review on iTunes it will help grow the show and also check out my new podcast it's called recovering my inner child until next time this is Kawan Saluja reminding you to always be learning and always be moving <laughs>